The book of Mark, chapter 11, at verse 1, it reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he set two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied, in which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. He sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The title of this chapter in my Bible read, The Triumphal Entry. And that's exactly what I picture here. You've got the Messiah, the Jesus, our Savior who is coming into this city and he is riding and people are singing his praises. They are shouting his praises. What a feeling. You hear a crowd getting louder behind you and you turn to see what it is. And this man that maybe you've only heard rumors of. And you, you join in and you begin to sing his praise just like we just did. All the earth will sing your praise, shouting and worshiping. But there's something sobering that I read in the very next scripture. In verse 11, it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple, the church, the sanctuary, this place. And when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Today, with the help of the Lord, I want to preach a simple topic. The church down the street. The church down the street. If you put your Bibles down and pray with me, God, I thank you for this opportunity and what you've already done in this service. And I pray that the word that you've given me would begin to go forth and that you would open our hearts and minds to hear it. Prepare us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. At this point in Mark, we are just four chapters away from the crucifixion of Jesus. So Jerusalem wasn't the safest place for him. But I want to draw your attentions to a thought that I felt God give me for this service Jessica and I, I'm happy to have my wife with me, which that's super weird. I haven't said that yet from the pulpit. Uh, love it, though. It's a great sound. We were actually supposed to be here teaching a clinic for the, uh, the music team. And with Labor Day and just a few people not being able to be here, we decided to reschedule. But I was at a church dedication where she had actually interned uh, while we became acquainted. And uh, they were having their dedication for their building. Uh, and real quick, it, it's, God gives like little snippets through either the word of a preacher or, you know, something just pops out of, of your Bible. So I'm in this service, and Brother Wayne Huntley is preaching, and he says something, and it may have lasted like two sentences. And he just starts going on this topic and basically, in a nutshell, says, you know, Jesus leaves when his friends aren't there, and he's going to go where his friends are. And he, he makes reference of that, and that just leaped out at me because... My mind just ran of like, 
man, what happens when Jesus leaves? What happens when Jesus goes to the church down the street? When he leaves the temple where he's supposed to be at, the, a safe place, a sanctuary, his sanctuary, to go to Bethany. When we decided to reschedule and dad asked me to preach, I still felt like God had given me this and it just kept repeating in my head and I wrote it down and began to take some notes down and it just, it just kept getting deeper and I just couldn't get it out of my spirit. So I decided that this is what I felt like God had given me. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, the worshipped Redeemer and Savior of the world, He had all power and all authority. He found Himself in a place that I pray I never see. Verse 11, He's in His temple. He walks in. He looks around. Maybe they had the greatest stage design, the most Beautiful sounding worship team. Social media was probably just immaculate. Pictures and content. But he looks around and he leaves. A place made for praise. Worship. Prayer. Life's changed. Salvation. And he leaves. Did they even notice him? Was anyone there? Was there a greeting committee? Did anyone even see this man walk through that moments earlier was being worshipped and praised and people were following him? He leaves. I know I'm just a few minutes into this, but I never want to get to a place that Jesus walks into my life or my church and he just has no reason to stay, no obligation to help, no obligation to linger. Jerusalem wasn't safe, but I would argue if there was just one person in that building that was in need of him that night, he would have stayed. No matter the consequences, if the Romans would have found him and been able to take him into custody, nothing would have stopped him. There was nothing keeping him there. In verse 11, he goes to Bethany with the 12 disciples. And there are three reasons that I, I think he left. Three people, actually. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so today I want to preach on those three people. Because Jesus will not abide where those three are not present. If there isn't a Mary, a Martha, and a Lazarus, Jesus leaves. Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10... We catch up with them. If you're familiar with them, you know them. They're the, the two people. One serves, one worships, and Jesus looks and says, hey, like, you know, thank you for doing this. I'm glad that you served and wanted to keep this place clean. But, but worship, it's important. Luke 10, verse 38 says, now what happened as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him saying, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to t help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. It's not to say that serving isn't bad. It, we need workers, but we also need worshipers. So the first two people that I think Jesus needs in a sanctuary to stay as workers and worshipers. And a balance of the two. Jesus will not abide in a church where we do not have those two present. So I have to ask you today, what does church mean to you? 
We're called to serve in many different capacities, and I'm thankful for opportunities that the modern church has given us. I'm a testament to that. I've been able to do a lot of amazing things in the church that step outside of the traditional idea of what ministry is. I've served with social media teams and music teams and video equipment. I've preached. I've been able to really broaden my horizons of serving the church. But we're also worshipers. What is the purpose of you being in this building today? I think COVID taught us all something very daunting. Present company included, we got comfortable in the building. And it was tough to step out of that and have church. It was tough to wake up in the morning, watch a live stream on my my TV in my living room and not get distracted. I did everything I could. I would get dressed. I would get ready. I would prepare myself. I'd have my Bible. And I sat there just missing the church. The church is great. Fellowship and being with like-minded people and being with your friends and your family. But we're the church and we're worshipers first. Are we checking off that badge or have we just come here to do what needs to be done and, and say you, you served, you worked, you gave your all? Or do we come here to give everything that we have to the King of Kings? To lay all that we have before Him at this altar, in this moment, just like we just did. Like Martha at the feet of Jesus. And I don't want to discredit workers. We need them. Laborers, we need them for the end of days. We need them for what God is giving the church. But don't forget worship. Those two go hand in hand. It's a balance. So when you go home, what are you taking with you? When you've sat in this place and you've heard the countless sermons preached from this pulpit, from many men of God, what do you take with you? How does it impact your day, your work, your friends, your family? The sermons that are preached, have they impacted your spirit? Are you convicted in love? Are you challenged to change yourself? When you walk through these doors, is it just another midweek service? You sit on your spot, you pull out your Bible, 45 minutes later, you get to go home, maybe you go out to eat with everybody, but you don't remember one thing. And I don't want to come off strong, I'm pointing all of mine back right at me. I've been there. It's easy to get distracted and like Mary, worrying about many things. Are the seats perfectly made? Or did we get this done? Is, did our social media look good today? It doesn't matter if we're not worshiping. It doesn't matter if Jesus walks through these doors and we're not worshiping at his feet. If Jesus walks in and those are not present, he will leave. Lazarus, if you know his stories, he's a pretty cool dude. I don't know what it what must have felt like. I'll paraphrase his story and then I'll read it. But to be dead, literally dead, wrapped in grave clothes and then commanded to walk out of your grave. I mean, that must have been pretty strange. Like, did he feel like he just woke up from a nap? Or I don't know what that would have felt like. But John chapter 11 says in verse 17, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. It's a long time. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a long time. That's dead. There ain't no, ain't, <laughs> I know we, we heard pastor talk about praying someone back from dead. That's like a couple minutes. Four days is a lot longer. Some stank in there. 
Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and when many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. That's powerful. My brother's dead. I wish you would have been here, but your timing is different than my timing. And I know that whatever you ask of God, God's going to give me. He's going to give you. He's going to give us. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is putting her on the spot. She just said it. He's really asking her, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, that I have the power to raise the dead, that I can do this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Here's what I believe. I don't think Jesus was there for Mary or Martha or Lazarus. I think he let Lazarus die. There were many Jews there that did not believe that if he'd asked them that very same question, they would have had science and logic and reason as to why, no, he's dead. He's been dead for four days. I can't believe in that. Verse 41, skipping down. Then they took the stone away from this place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when Lazarus heard all this stuff, he, he walked out. My favorite song, one of them, uh, Grave Song. It's like just, you know, it's, it's a perfect picture of, of what's happening here. But my favorite, my favorite verse in this chapter is verse 45. It just says, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did believed in him. That right there is the reason why Jesus let all this happen. That testimony of a dead man walking out in grave clothes was the only reason why Jesus let it happen. So I'm here to tell you today that there may be a Lazarus in this building. There's been something dead in your life that you've held dormant. You've had in your past, in your sin, and, and God is saying, no, it's time to come out. It's time to step out of that grave. I've got a testimony, and I want people to believe in me through you. I want your testimony to challenge other people through you. Lazarus became a witness to the doubting and unbelieving. He probably didn't even know he was doing it. Just died and walked right out. Maybe he didn't even know he died. Maybe that's what we'll think. But Jesus came to restore and heal those that are in need. Revelations 12, 11, it just says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The word of our testimony is so much more powerful than I think we give it credit so I'm here to say that if Jesus walks in this building and there is not a testimony present, there's not a Mary and a Martha present, he will leave. Where are you, Mary? Martha? Is there a Lazarus in this building? My worshipers, are you here? We've already seen some of them. I don't care what I have set aside, I just... I want to be in his presence. God gave me these talents, and how, how can I use them for the kingdom of God? Laborers, we need you. I know you're in this building. 
Who was the last person that you taught a Bible study to? Who was the last person that you just simply witnessed to? Growing up, I, I was under the impression that if I didn't save everyone in the world, I was not doing it right. And it's easy to, to feel all the, the weight of the world. I want to go and do this. We've got millions of unsaved people. But what's honestly true is it could just be the one person that you sit next to at lunch or on the bus or at your desk. And it's not our job to judge results. We just plant the seed. God gives the increase. I've seen multiple people come to Christ through just initial witness and, hey, come to my church. Great. It's easy. They walk in the doors and get the Holy Ghost, and that's that. And I've seen many people that after multiple witnesses, multiple people trying, they finally step out and they finally get it right. But what they didn't know was how many other people were influenced from that. We have no way of judging what God is doing. I worked at a company in Louisville that was not, uh, it wasn't church related. So everyone there was not like-minded with me. And I quickly stood out as the sore thumb. I didn't drink. I didn't go to bars. I didn't do stuff. I didn't, you know, participate in certain activities. And they quickly accepted me. They, they were not judgmental in the, in the least. But there was one person, individual, and I, I love him. He did a lot of things that I, I wouldn't want to do or even come close to, so much so that I had to mute his Instagram and I didn't had to be careful who I shared it with because he just chose to do a few things that were a little bit less than uh, what I'd want to show the public. But he was a good guy. He had good morals. He had good sense of like, yeah, I want to be a good person. Didn't really know about God or what he thought, but quickly in that career that I had, he realized that even though he didn't know who or what God was, I did. And that was peaceful to him. I tried so many times. I'd be like, dude, just come to church with me, man. Like, I know it's, you might seem weird. You, you, you've had a couple bad experiences, but just come to my church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. And he never would. We'd plan on Bible studies at coffee shops, and they'd never happen. But I'll never forget the time that we were on a trip, and he was broken, depressed. He came to us plastered. He'd been drinking. It was after a work event, and at that job, they don't care what you do after hours. So he came to our room, just couldn't even form a sentence, but just started crying. And just for two hours, talked about everything he did in his life that was wrong. We got back to Louisville and got off the plane, and I could just tell he was broken. And I, I, I thought to myself, I, the fear and doubt and darkness that must be in his mind if, if he doesn't have a church to go to or a, a Jesus to look to. And so I just, I just texted him. I was afraid something would happen, so I just kept up with him. And he called me one night, and he said, man, I, I just need to come over, and I need some Jesus music, something peaceful, something to help me. He said, I know it sounds stupid, but you'll know what I mean. And I was like, all right. So he came over. I blared everything I had. I had IBC going, or I had Urshan going in the other room. I had Todd Delaney in the kitchen. I was just, everything was on max. And we got in the car, and we just ended up driving for three hours. He never came to church, never prayed him through to the Holy Ghost. But after I left Louisville, and Nate can attest to this, completely changed his life around. The Instagram that he had, deleted it. Stopped taking those photos of those people. Changed his life. He got into 
I want to be a better human, and I want to be a better successful person. He started reading, and he put down movies. He put down hobbies that weren't helping him. He put down alcohol. And has he come to Jesus? No. But I know that when the next apostolic gets to run into him, they'll have a way easier time than I did because the seed that I planted is still there. A long story just to say you don't know what your testimony does. I don't know what he's thinking right now. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how many service he might have been watching. I'm not him, but I know God gives increases. What's your testimony? What testimony can you share with someone? What life that you're living is going to help someone else that may not know what they're going through? What, what can you have a testimony for? Isaiah 56 and 7 says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Yes, we need Marys and Marthas and Lazaruses, but there's a fourth that if, if only they are there, Jesus will stay. I want everyone to point at yourself. Salvation. Salvation alone is why he came. We heard it in the first half. He came to, to fix sin, to split that veil in two, so that the, the prophecies that they had seen only a, a glimpse of now became a reality over here. Salvation is the only reason that he came. So yes, Mary's and Martha's and Lazarus's, those are, those are great and we need those. But it starts with people like you and people like me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whoever would believe in him should not perish. They wouldn't die. They wouldn't be lost in their sin and held down and bound by sin. But that they would be saved. See, the reality is that you can't have a Mary, Martha, or Lazarus if you don't have a Braxton that's sinned, lied, I've cheated. I've come to this altar multiple times in multiple sanctuaries and repented for the same thing only to turn around and do it one more time and again and again and again and again. Pastor preached from Psalms 118 talking about salvation and the blood that was purchased, that God became our salvation. He became my salvation. You see, Braxton was born into this world as a sinner, a life full of sins and mistakes and failures and blemishes and marks. I've prayed those prayers that I'm sure every single one of you in this building has prayed, but he was there. If I lived lies... I live lies. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? He was there. I repented for those, and he was there. When Jesus walks into this church, he's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for a sinner. He's looking for someone that says, God, I have messed up. I have broken myself. I have lost myself. I don't know where to turn or what to do. And when a sinner walks to this altar, God says, I can do that. That's, that's why I came. It fulfills the plan that I have. It, it fulfills the reason that I'm here. So if you show me a Mary, I'll show you a sinner whose life was changed. If you show me a Martha, I'll show you someone that, that is just so energized to, to serve and work because God turned their life around. And what better way to give it back than to work for the church? 
You show me a Lazarus, I'll show you someone that had the darkest, deepest, grossest testimony, but turned it around, ran out of that grave, and came to this altar with a testimony. So where are you, Mary? Where are you, Martha? Lazarus, the music could come. This altar is open. I know we've already had a, a, a moment of prayer and, and repentance, but I think there's some people in here that might have been on maybe an edge. Maybe you're, you're wondering, can God help my life? Can God even come into my life? Have, have I done too much? Am I too far? The crazy thing about God is that you can take 10 steps back. You can take 20 steps back. It only takes one step forward. No matter how far back you are, the second you say, I'm just going to come a little closer. I'm just going to come a little closer. When you get out of your comfort zone and you make your way to this altar, God responds. God responds. If you want to be in a church where Jesus doesn't leave, he's looking for sinners. He's looking for you and me. This altar is for you. If you're here today and you desire to be filled with the Holy Ghost, maybe you don't know what that is or what that looks like. It's as easy as walking to this altar and letting God fill your life. It's surrender. It's saying, God, I am not okay. I am not okay. I need you in my life. This altar's open. God, we need you today. God, we need you today.